I go outside and they're all standing around a dead mouse and they're looking at it and they're sort of horrified. They're sort of interested. And I'm just listening to their conversation. And one of them said, how do you think the mouse died? And then the other said, do you think we should bury it? Well, what if an owl wants to eat it? Do owls even eat dead mice? I thought they only ate live mice. Like if we did a mouse funeral, what would that be like? Like, should we like say something at a mouse funeral? Like, like, should we invite other mice? I mean, it's just was hilarious. And it's how little kids' brains work. They're trying to figure out this thing I've never seen before, a dead mouse. Is this regular and I just missed it? Or is this an outside thing? Is this an anomaly in my life? Is this first car accident I see something that happens all the time? Or is this something that I don't really need to be scared of? This is Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert, and I'm Meredith. I explore the questions people think but don't ask out loud, either because they're taboo or thanks to cultural hypnosis. My mission, and yours if you choose to accept it, is to inspire curiosity by exploring the nuance and paradox of our world. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. If last week's episode made you think, what if I could have a 32-hour work week? Then you're really going to love this part too. It's the more practical half. And even if you feel like a three-day weekend is never going to be in your future, my guest has great tips on how to renew your energy with the time off that you do have. And again, if you're a returning listener, thank you so much. Did you know that as of March 2022, there are 4 million podcasts in the world, 4 million, and you tune into mine. That's major. So thank you. And if you're new here, welcome to the party. I started this podcast to inspire people to choose curiosity over judgment and break out of their algorithm bubble. There's no specific order to listen to episodes. And at the end of each episode, I offer a next episode suggestion, kind of like if you liked this, you might like that sort of thing. So have a look around and hit play on whatever grabs your attention. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to part two of my chat with Joe Sanok. In part one, we learned that the quality of our slowing down will directly impact the quality of our ability to kill it. In case you missed it, he's the author of Thursday is the New Friday, a middle ground personal development book between woo-woo manifestation and hustle harder cultures. Today, he's going to share how you can reimagine your work week by reevaluating your efficiency. Welcome back. Thanks, Meredith. Really glad to be back. So now we know that the way that we kind of divide and organize our time is completely made up um, and that we can do better on fewer hours, but most of us can't just like bounce out on Thursday. So how do we actually start to get things done by Thursday? How do we even begin to be more efficient? Yeah. So one of the big kind of takeaways from the book and from the research is that we do our best work when we've slowed down first. And so thinking about our weekends going into our week is the best preparation that we can do to actually be more productive. I mean, think about when your best ideas come. It's usually when you're taking a shower, when you're out for a hike with a friend or even alone, or you're on a drive and maybe you aren't listening to a podcast or music. You just let your mind wander. Your brain is better able to then make those connections than when we're stressed out and maxed out. So I would start with first, we're slowing down. Uh, and then next, we want to look at Parkinson's law. So Parkinson's law actually has two parts. The most common part that we hear about is that work expands to the time given. 
And so, uh, and I'll drill into that. But the second part is the natural bloating of organizations. And so when we bloating sounds why, bad, <laughs> bloating very sounds bad. very bad. <laughs> you know, basically, like if you add something into an organization, it's near impossible to pull it back out. And, and so that's one of the main reasons we see that it's so hard for large organizations to switch to a four day work week is they're so bloated. They've created so many unnecessary systems. So let's look at the first part of Parkinson's law, work expanding to time given. So if you give yourself only four days. And so maybe you still work a five-day work week, but you want to get into that mindset of, I just want to kill it when I am here to look at, well, what's the neuroscience say? Well, if you say to yourself, I'm going to just kill it for four days. So these 20 tasks you normally have, maybe you can only do 15 in a week. Which 15 are you going to work on? Your best 15 or your worst 15? Now imagine if week after week, you're putting your time only into the best things. And then all the other parts you either are dropping the ball on or you're saying, I need to outsource this or eliminate it or just take it off my calendar in some way. Over time, you then are rapidly going after the best use of your time. So you're going to move forward faster. Also, uh, th there's research out of the University of Illinois that's looking at micro breaks. And so they were evaluating something called vigilance decrement. So vigilance, how well you pay attention to something, decrement meaning breaking down over time. So the natural thing that happens is when you're doing a boring task or a task that isn't highly engaging, you're going to pay attention worse and worse over time. And so they did this study where they brought college students into a lab. They had them in front of a computer screen and random four digit numbers came up. Now these students were assigned one random four digit number. Say it was four, three, two, one. Uh, when four, three, two, one comes up, you hit a button. When other four digit numbers come up, you don't hit the button. Super boring task. Over the hour, they saw they paid attention worse at the end than they did at the beginning. Of course. Well, they then, with the second group, every 20 minutes, they gave them just a one-minute break. They had them leave the computer. Maybe they said something like, we need to set you up on a different computer. There were no screens. There were no magazines. It was just, just a one-minute break. Just hang tight for a minute. They found that they completely eliminated vigilance decrement just by giving a one-minute break every 20 minutes. And so the big takeaway there is sometimes we say, oh, my gosh, I have to have a three-day weekend to be super productive. No, when you actually sprint and you figure out your sprint type and you figure out how you're going to run after these things, uh, then you're better able to go and do them faster uh, when you give that one minute break every 20 minutes. Okay, that is a lot to digest. I love it. The, so the first thing you said to be more efficient is actually enjoy your weekend. <laughs> whatever, whatever weekend you got, actually enjoy it. I don't think it's a stretch to say maybe don't check your work email then. Like, I mean, I know that the questions I'm asking you when I ask, like, you know, give me a practical reason. I know that that is from the industrialist mindset of like, give me the five steps to do this, Joe. But I think, you know, that's where we're at. That's where most people um, who are, you know, being an audience member to the show, that's probably where the mindset that they're in. So from a practical standpoint, enjoying your weekend, what, don't check your email? Like what else, what does that look like? How can you create those boundaries to enjoy the time off that you do have? Yeah. And I would actually say your question isn't really pulling from the industrialist mindset. So the industrialists say, 
here's the five steps, do them in this order, you're in or you're out. What you're saying is I want to build some tools that I can say work sometimes. And then that doesn't work. And you say, okay, that menu item, I'm going to say that doesn't work. So hard and soft boundaries. We'll talk okay. about that. Uh, adding one, removing one. Well, I have that. So you're building that toolbox to say, okay, this isn't working for me. I can now adjust. I'm not a bad person because that method didn't work for me. Uh, so the first thing would be to look at your weekend and have an add one, remove one mindset. And so what does that mean? So whether or not you're having a three-day weekend, a two-day weekend, even just one day to look at that weekend ahead of you and say, what's one thing that I can add into this weekend that may bring me a little bit more life than what I'm used to. So for example, I'm reading Michael Pollan's new book, This Is Your Brain on Plants. Um, and so I intentionally on Saturday morning, you know, made my green tea. I sat down, I read that for half an hour. My daughters saw me doing that. And then they decided to go read it on a Saturday morning. Uh, and so it was a highly focused thing to say, this is a book that has no business implications for me right now, but it's just interesting to me. And so there may be a novel that's been on your nightstand for months and it doesn't have any, any business uh, sense for you, but you know that you're just going to maybe feel a little bit better. Or maybe it's getting coffee with a close friend that you haven't reached out to. Or this weekend, out of nowhere, this friend I haven't talked to in 12 years, we used to be in a band together. We didn't have a falling out. We just kind of had life happen. He texted me on Friday night and it was out of the blue. And we talked for two hours yesterday. And so to be able to have these things that just give you life in a different way, add those things in. Now, removing things, uh, that's looking at things that maybe are causing undue stress. Maybe you have a coffee date with someone scheduled for this weekend. And that friend is a toxic friend. Every time you leave those conversations, you feel like trash. Uh, you feel like you're just taking on the burdens of the world. We are too old to have toxic friends. And so preach, you're allowed to cancel preach. that date. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> you are too old to have toxic friends. Too it, old, you know, everyone. Find those people that, that lift you up, that you feel good when you leave them. You think, yeah. oh my gosh, I want 20 of this person. Um, maybe it's that you're going to get your groceries delivered and you don't want to spend half a Saturday getting groceries and hunting for groceries. And sure, between the tip and the cost, maybe it's an extra 20 bucks or something. But then you don't have that stress. I live in Michigan. And so... I, the first time the snow came and I was blowing snow and I was out there for two hours on this driveway, I'm thinking, this is not how I want to spend my winter. I can spend $35 to have someone plow this driveway whenever it snows more than a few inches. And so I texted the guy right away and said, listen, I don't want to blow snow this winter. And so find those things that we can remove. Now, of course, many of these things are from a place of privilege, but to even find those small things that maybe it's a hike, maybe it's time outside of your house, walking around your neighborhood. Um, maybe it's just texting your neighbor and saying, hey, you want to grab a drink together tonight to have a little deeper connection in your neighborhood. It doesn't have to be you know, paying for something big. And so over time, what you're doing is you're seeing, okay, I thought that having my groceries delivered was actually going to be a really big thing for me. But I just realized that being away from my kids for a few hours is awesome <laughs> to go grocery shopping. Yeah. So maybe that isn't one of those big things. But then over time, you find those couple things that you're just like, my weekends are so much better if I do these three things. And then you grow in that area. I love that so much. Okay. So it's not about restrict. It's not all about restricting. It's not all about taking away, taking away, checking your work email or taking away, you know, the annoying gossiping friend over coffee. It's about adding in the things that bring you pleasure and joy and meaning. So the second thing that you said was about um, kind of evaluating your tasks. You said if you had 20 tasks and maybe you can only complete 15 uh, even if you do have a five-day work week, what are the 15 that you're completing? So 
I used to teach people do it, dump it or delegate it. And they, I just had them write down like everything that they did from their waking up to their going to bed. Is there other than that literal idea, is there any other ideas where people could start to evaluate what they're doing and the value around what they're doing? Yeah. So I would say also with evenings and weekends to look at your hard and soft boundaries. So oftentimes when we hear boundaries, we think, oh, I I have to have these boundaries. I should have more boundaries, but we don't know how to do it. We see it in the same way, maybe when we're earlier in life and we think a budget is going to be super restrictive and it's going to be so terrible to be on a budget. But the reality is you're just telling your money where you want it to go. In the same way, Boundaries just tell your time where you want it to go. And so to have some very clear, hard boundaries. So I wrote a book about why you shouldn't work on Friday, or at least that metaphor of taking an extra day off a week. So if I have someone that reaches out and wants to do ongoing consulting with me, and they can only meet on Friday, I'm never going to take that person on. That will not happen. Whereas if something happens with practice of the practice, my website and my director of details texts me and says, hey, the the business is on fire. The website's on fire. Your accountant said this is going on. Social media is lit up and going crazy. I'm not going to say let it burn till Monday. I'm going to help put out that fire on Friday. But then we're going to reverse engineer and say, why did Joe have the keys to the kingdom? Why weren't there some checks and balances within the team? How did these things happen where things did blow up? Why don't we have a few triggers when we start to see some negative comments online? And so realizing that there's there's hard boundaries, which are more like walls and soft boundaries, which are a little more like aspirations or pillows that are kind of blocking you from going through things. But you have some flexibility there. So when you do that, some of your soft boundaries, you'll realize, oh my word, this is amazing. Uh, so for example, every Wednesday, I'm in an improv group. Uh, we practice. Uh, I laugh so hard. I don't have to do my ab workout on Thursday. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's fun for the sake of being fun. And I'm sure I'm learning things within that that will make me a better public speaker or other things, but it's just hilarious. Uh, and so for me, that was something that I made somewhat of a priority. I'd say maybe more of a soft boundary uh, that I would not miss that. But then over time, I've realized that is in my calendar. I have childcare for my kids every Wednesday, unless something major happens, I'm going to be at improv. Uh, and so I actually started hosting it at my house in our garage, uh, just so that we could have it here and make it easier on myself. I, I got to show up. It's at my house. Uh, and, and so finding those things that just light you up, I then am better at work because I have those things outside of work. And that's completely different from the industrialist mindset that we all well, I think we all grew up with, certainly in the United States and certainly in the Midwest. I'm from Nebraska. That is, you know, I, I talked in another episode about how long work hours has long been a an, an unfortunate badge of honor. But um, I think that in certain regions of the United States, there's a little bit more of that. And it, you know, we come from farm country, so it's hard to undo these things. They're tied in with our value and there's some deep stuff that is underlying all of our tendencies, our inclinations actually. And you talk about inclinations and mindset a lot, especially in the second half of your book. Can you explain what the different inclinations, I think there's three Yeah. So I think if we think about the natural flow, we start with inside, what's our 
natural posture towards the world. So that's our internal inclination. So we look at the top three uh, that the research shows us uh, successful people have naturally. Uh, Then we move into in the book into slowing down and why that then primes the brain for that last part of the book of killing it. And so we just totally go after things. Uh, So if we go back to the internal inclinations, there's three of them. So there's curiosity, there's an outsider approach, and there's the ability to move on it. Um, So curiosity, you know, we've been taught so inappropriately what curiosity is. I mean, as a kid, we're taught curiosity killed the cat. And I, I started that chapter thinking, where did that even come from? There was this this cat in the early, I think it was like 1910, that got stuck in a chimney and it made the front page of the Washington Post that curiosity killed the cat. And what a terrible thing to teach kids that you know, if you go out into the world, if you wonder what's down that alley, you're going to die uh, versus curiosity can spark things in you. Uh, I remember uh, a couple months ago, uh, my daughters who are seven and 10, and then my nieces who also live in the neighborhood, they were six and four. So four little girls were in the backyard playing and squealing and running around. And then all of a sudden it got super quiet. And that's always a sign that I need to go check on them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I go outside and they're all standing around a dead mouse and they're looking (laughs) at it and they're sort of horrified. They're sort of interested. And I'm just listening to their conversation. And one of them said, how do you think the mouse died? And then the other said, do you think we should bury it? Well, what if an owl wants to eat it? Do owls even eat dead mice? I thought they only ate live mice. Like if we did a mouse funeral, what would that be like? Like, should we like say something at a mouse funeral? Like, like should we invite other mice? I mean, it's just was hilarious. And it's how little kids' brains work. They're trying to figure out this thing I've never seen before, a dead mouse. Is this regular and I just missed it? Or is this an outside thing? Is this an anomaly in my life? Is this first car accident I see something that happens all the time? Or is this something that I don't really need to be scared of? They're trying to figure out where am I safe? Where am I not safe? And oftentimes we lose that. But top performers maintain that curious approach. So they do a Facebook ads campaign. And it's maybe a big stretch for their business. It's $1,000, it's $10,000, whatever amount it is. And maybe they don't get the click-throughs they wanted. Maybe they don't get the sales. Top performers say, wow, we just got some great data on what our customers don't want, on what images don't work. Sure, we wouldn't want to just drop 10 grand or $1,000 or whatever your budget is to learn that. But if you can have a curious approach, it's much different than if you have that fixed mentality. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. If trash TV leaves you feeling drained and you want to support creators like yours truly, check out StreamMoco. You can search shows by your mood and even, you know, watch my show, The Curious Introvert. For every $3.99 subscription, they give away a dollar for good and support their creators like your girl. Find my affiliate link in the episode description or the bio link in my Instagram account. Stream Moco, the streaming network that gives a damn. Listen, if the last two years have given you a chronic eye twitch, you should consider trying medical marijuana. I highly recommend it. See what I did there? There's lots of ways for it to help you. So if you have questions and if you're the least bit curious, Google Empathic Practice Pensacola. It's the most non-intimidating way to get your medical card in Florida. Their in-house doctor and holistic support make them the easy choice. Empathicpractice.us. If you've got backyard barbecue plans for 2022, but mosquitoes are not invited, I recommend Insec. I've been using their pest control service for several years now. They have a certified mosquito identification specialist on staff, and pollinator care is always top of mind. 
If you live in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. The UWF Historic Trust. We shoot the show at the Pensacola Museum of History. It not only houses exhibits of lesser-known Pensacola history, it's an event space too. So if you need a unique space in downtown Pensacola for a fundraiser, networking event, or a corporate party, take a look at historicpensacola.org. And if you want to tour one of the 12 museums, get your tickets in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Get emails by texting REAL to 66866. Now back to the show. And the fixed mentality in part is win after win, A plus after A plus, high achievement after high achievement with no room for failing or even, you know, not doing as well because it's better to achieve than to fail and and therefore there's really no innovation. It's just kind of like a fake progress. It's all arbitrary, right? Yeah. It, I mean, are we building a machine here? Right. Or are we building an organism that can change and adapt? Because, uh, I mean, you look at the companies that changed and adapted versus the ones that didn't like look at Netflix. They started with mailing DVDs to people. Right. Uh, you know, you'd have your queue. And then when you mailed one back, they'd mail you another one. They could have just died with all the home video places, but they didn't, they shifted, they adapted, they, they evolved uh, over time with technology. Whereas there's other companies like Kodak that didn't really do a very good job with that. They just kind of died off. And, and so when we're looking at building an organism, you're changing and adapting over time. Uh, which is where that second internal inclination of an outsider approach is so important because um, we see that the research actually shows that outsiders coming into a new organization or group have more influence statistically than the average person. And so they've done all sorts of different studies where they show that you know, it's these people come in and they're able to then sway the group in ways they shouldn't. There was this one called the blue-green study where um, the researcher held up a card that was either blue or green. And the group would say, that's green, that's blue. Sometimes people disagreed, sometimes they didn't. And, and so for the most part, they agreed as a group. And then they brought in a couple outsiders and they had a couple where they would say, that's not blue, that's green. And they would sway the whole group to go against a color, like we know colors, uh, but they were able to sway the group. And there's all the, it's been replicated in numerous different ways to show that outsiders are the ones that oftentimes aren't in that box. They haven't seen that company. Uh, we've all had that happen where you go to a new job and you say, why, why do you do it that way? That's so weird. Uh, and it's like, I remember I was working at a community college and I was hired to be a therapist there. And I came into the student life department and they were doing their progress notes by hand, handwritten, putting them in binders by day that the student had come. So if I wanted to know, you know, if Meredith had come in, you know, what was the academic advising she received? Like, was she going through a breakup? Like, was she really depressed? I had to figure out or have the front desk figure out what day she came and then go look up. It was September 21st of last year, rather than just filing it by last name or having some sort of digital record that I could just look at. And so to be an outsider coming in, oftentimes we see these things that are just crazy within a company. And that's actually a superpower that top performers maintain even when they are within their company. And that's why Meredith can never have a normal job because I have always been that person that I come into a job. Even when I, I worked, I was a teenager at a family owned Chinese restaurant and I was like, well, why, why are we doing it this way? Those kids that are asking why in the classroom, oh, hold on to that kids. And I worked at a physical therapy company once and 
there was some things that were just bananas. And I said, well, why are we doing it this way? Is there a reason? No one could answer except for that's the, just the way we do it. That's the way upper management does it. And then I suggested, well, what, what if we try it this way? Wouldn't that be more efficient in the long term? And, you know, I, I was never, never popular. So that's, that's why I'm here because I can't, yeah. <laughs> I don't play nice with others. But the outsider perspective is super helpful if a, a person who, let's say, is traditionally employed and has been there for a while no longer has that fresh outsider perspective by bringing in, in one way or another, I imagine, some sort of outsider or like you, you know, you do corporate consulting. I mean, that's the benefit to uh, progress is bringing in someone to kind of take that big look and go, oh, I see this really simple fix in this area. Let's try it, you know, or let's do an experiment. I love how often you said that in your book. Let's, this is an experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's amazing how that outsider approach can just solve so many problems. I, I uh, hired Jamie Masters from The Eventual Millionaire to be my consultant. And in one conversation, she just flipped the way I was selling tickets to a conference. And you know, the next year, we did probably 200K in ticket sales compared to you know, the first year of, I think, 40K. Whoa. Just in one conversation of her, of her observing, you know, in one conversation, you sold tickets through talking to people on the phone more than doing podcast launches or, you know, I had had an amazing launch series. I had Lewis Howes on the show. I had had Jay Papazan from The One Thing, all these great speakers and thinking that's going to sell tickets. No, totally didn't. It was just me saying, hey, you want to chit chat about whether this is a fit? Here's a link to talk for 10 minutes. Totally changed things. Um, But that last uh, internal inclination is an ability to move on it. And I think that to me, I just love this one because uh, so often, especially highly educated people like you and I, um, we are so perfectionistic in how we do things. Uh, And most of life does not need to have the perfection we have. Now, of course, if I go in for a surgery and if my doctor starts it, I want her to take as long as she needs to do that surgery perfect. And so on one side, we have that perfection. We have that accuracy. But on the other side, we have speed. Uh, And speed of implementation in our business and in most businesses is actually going to give us the data. It's going to allow us to see what doesn't work. We're going to get feedback from our audience rather than just being paralyzed by perfection. And thank you, first of all, for saying that I am highly educated. (laughs) That's very nice. (laughs) Hair flip. No, I'm actually a... um, community college dropout, but my brain is just naturally complicated. So here we are. And I scored the lowest on the inclinations test in this area. And it's something that I am working to improve. And for that reason, I really appreciate the thought experiments that you have in the book. And I call them thought experiments. I don't know if that's what they really are, but I think you call them mindset shifts. um, And then there's like action shifts. Uh, but the instead of a to-do list, a to-be list, who do I want to be? And that kind of blankets all that we have to do. And I've really been thinking on that a lot since I read that. And when I think about the things that I have to do, my natural inclination was to write another to-do list. I love my lists, you know, love my Excel spreadsheets. And then I thought, well, if I'm trying to be a doer, is any of this on this list just something I could do? Is any of it something I could dump? Is any of it something that I could delegate? And so it's interesting how the perspective that you offer in the book is more of a thoughtful approach and less of a, you know, recipe that must be followed exactly. Otherwise the cake don't rise. 
Yeah, I think so many help self-help books fall into that industrialist mindset where they just make you feel bad, like yeah. you aren't measuring up and I should do this, I should do that. But if we think about it as a to become list, uh, you know, there's this old stoic meditation uh, that it's called the, uh, like, I forgot exactly what it's called. The idea is that who would love your life? And so if you just think about who in the world would just kill to be Meredith, would kill to be Joe, even with all the junk in our lives. You know, I live in Northern Michigan. I'm two blocks from 20% of the world's fresh water. You're, the, the Great Lakes have 20% of the world's fresh water. Who would care about fresh water? I don't know, 50% of the globe. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a white guy in America that's, you know, upper middle class. Who would kill for this life? So many people. So just starting from a place of, you know, we're okay how we are. Uh, you know, life is really good for most of us. And so if we can start from that posture and say, well, who do I want to become? And so a year ago, I said, I want to be more fit than I am right now. Uh, and so we were on the road we were living in a camper, um, traveling to a bunch of national parks. And so you know, to pull out the TRX every single day and get it hooked up in the camper, just, I knew that would be too much of a barrier. So I said, you know what I can do? I can do a one minute plank every day and I can do 20 push-ups every single morning. Like that's where I can start. And I'm still doing that plank. You know, I hit a new record recently. And so to just start with, what can I do? What can I become? And so when we got home, my daughters and I made a list of 10 different things that we thought would be good for us. So it's 10 minutes of doing Duolingo, uh, 10 minutes of you know them learning math, 10 minutes of reading, um, doing a three-minute plank. Um, and there's all these different things on there that are good for my environment. You know, cleaning up a space within my house that needs to be organized. And so I'll just say, Echo, pick a number between one and 10 and whatever she picks, I have to do on that list. And that's my to become list. And oh, it that. gamifies it. It makes it fun. Um, and then it's like, oh, shoot, I didn't want to do more Duolingo today. But Echo picked it. Guess I'm going to gamify it and go do 10 minutes of Duolingo. How fun is that? I love that you gamify that. And I love. Yeah, that's so great. This is so good. I feel very motivated. So before we close, is there any other thoughts around efficiency and finding flow that you want to offer before we wrap up? Yeah. I, yeah. I think the final idea is really discovering your sprint type. Uh, your sprint type is similar to your personality type. So when you know that you're an introvert, when you know that you are an Enneagram three, when you know whatever kind of different personality type you do, it gives you some shortcuts around who you are. And also if other people kind of speak that language, it allows them to shortcut that as well. Same with your sprint type. The research is showing that a lot of times people have sprinted or batched in a particular way and then felt like that doesn't really work for me. Uh, I guess I'm not a person that can sprint, but actually you probably don't know your sprint type. And, and so with your sprint type, there's two different factors. The first is what type of work you're doing. And the second is when are you doing your work? And so what type of work? First, we're going to look at, are you a time block sprinter or are you a task switcher? So time block sprinters are people like you who are going to do four podcast interviews in a row. So we're going to do one type of thing. We're going to get our equipment set up and then boom, we're just going to kill it. So that's one type of work that you're doing. A task switcher recognizes that they need a lot of variety in their life. So this isn't multitasking. We know that's a myth. The research has poo-pooed that for years. This is saying, what are the high level things I need to do? But every 20 to 30 minutes, I need to switch those. So first 20 minutes, maybe I'm you know, sketching out my social media calendar for the year. Next 20 minutes, I'm going to sketch out a blog post. Next 20 minutes, I'm going to work on connecting with some high level clients. Uh, so, so you're doing high level things, but you need that variety. So we're still doing sprints, but we're doing it with some variety. The second part of it is when do we sprint? 
And so if you're an automated sprinter, you set up that you're doing your podcast interviews on every other Monday, we're going to do it. It's going to be in the calendar. It's going to be on repeat. Nothing gets in that. Your assistant can't put anything in there. It's just completely blocked out. So it's a set time, usually weekly, where you're going to just hit that thing uh, or those variety of things during that time. The second type of sprinter is an intensive sprinter. So this is someone that needs to go away oftentimes to do their sprints. So they get an Airbnb for a couple of days. And within that, they may do one thing. Maybe they set up that they're going to do 26 podcast interviews in, in two days, or they may have some variety. I'm going to work on the media calendar for the year. And then I'm going to work on some blog posts and get those all written. And then I'm going to you know, do some financials with my bookkeeper. And I'm going to get away for a couple of days and then just absolutely kill it. So if we can figure out, do we need that variety in the tasks? And do we want it weekly or do we want to go away? It then allows us to be a better sprinter when it's actually time to sprint. Those are really helpful insights. Is that part of the quiz that you offer on your website? Yeah. So the quiz is just particular to the internal inclinations. Because okay. to me, if you don't understand those, uh, if you're not able to say, okay, I need to grow in this area because it's not pass fail. It's not like, oh, you don't, you don't move on it, Meredith. So you are out. You are <laughs> right. never going to be a CEO. You're going to be a failure. No, it's you just having that awareness of, okay, that doesn't come naturally for me. I need to do some of these tasks to build that. Or wow, I haven't been an outsider as much as I thought I was an outsider. I need to put myself in situations where I am the outsider to, to get that muscle built up. Whereas the, the sprint types, we, we walk through that in the book um, to help people really understand that. And that's the perfect segue. Where can people find you and where can they buy your book? Yeah, so the website is joesanok.com and you can purchase the book wherever you buy your books. I'm sure your local bookstore would uh, prefer you to shop there. Mm -hmm. But if you order online, if you want to get it through your library, uh, it's available nationwide uh, through HarperCollins. And then uh, joesanok.com, we have all sorts of experiments that people are reporting there. If you're trying four-day work weeks, if there's things that worked for you or maybe didn't work for you, submit that and we'll put that up in our experiments section. And then on social media, uh, just search for my name, Joe Sanok, and you'll find me. I love that. And if you're um, an audience member of the show, you can get a link to the inclinations quiz in the Saturday email. If you're listening to this late, by the way, you also get a link to all the archived emails. But to be on that list, just text REAL to 66866. That works if you're in the US. If you are an earthling elsewhere on earth, then you can just go to meritforreal.com and get included that way. Thank you so much, Joe. This was amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you have loved a couple episodes of this show, help me let others know by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just share where you're listening from and why you liked a certain episode. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the one about how overwhelm can actually be a source of inspiration. It's episode 105. Stay tuned next week when I talk with a woman who has lived barefoot for 12 years in Canada. Talk to you then.